We've been working our way through the book of Deuteronomy, uh, slowly making progress, yet moving forward, uh, verse by verse, uh, even so. And we've been focusing our attention lately on the Ten Commandments. Uh, These Ten Commandments are found in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, and the uh, first four commandments deal with our relation to God. Um, For instance, the uh, first commandment describes the object of our worship. The second describes the means by which we worship. The third describes the manner in which we worship. And the fourth describes the time set aside uh, for our worship. Uh, These, of course, are often referred to as the first table of the law, uh, which can be summarized sufficiently in one word. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, tonight we're going to be turning our attention to the second table of the law with the fifth commandment. Um, This commandment is found in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. So I would ask you to turn there with me if you haven't already. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. And before we uh, read our passage tonight, um, I would like you to listen to question 104 in the Heidelberg Catechism. It asks, What is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? It answers, that I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and all those in authority over me. Submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline, and also that I be patient with their failings. For by their hand, God wills to rule us. So let us stand together for the reading of our text Tonight, and let us receive it as the inspired word of God, which is the supreme, sufficient authority for everything that pertains to life and godliness. This is the word of God from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long. And then it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. May the Lord bless his word tonight, and may he help us to see wonderful things in his law. Please be seated. We departed, for those of you who noticed, from the Baptist Catechism last week, as we reflected upon the fourth commandment, Uh, But we're going to return to it uh, tonight in order to outline um, our message, uh, the topic of which is the fifth commandment. Uh, The catechism presents us with three questions, uh, which you might be getting used to uh, by now. Uh, First, what is required in the fifth commandment? Uh, Second, what is forbidden in the fifth commandment? And finally, what is the reason annexed to the fifth commandment? So let's begin tonight with our first question, uh, which is question 69 in the Baptist Catechism. What is required in the fifth commandment? Uh, The catechism concisely answers this question as follows. The fifth commandment requireth the preserving the honor and performing the duties 
belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, uh, or equals. Um, This, of course, is simply referring to uh, relations of authority. It's commonly taught within the Reformed Church uh, that this commandment sets forth the principle of authority um, insofar as it relates to our various relations in life. Uh, And so, indeed, um, uh, rather than simply uh, trying to make Bob read a longer passage tonight, um, even though I know he wanted to read Psalm 117, um, I really wanted us to be able to see how Paul was placing it in the context of the various relations uh, within the household uh, and how all of this uh, really does tie together. We saw, of course, uh, this set forth in the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, that I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and all those in authority over me, for by their hand God wills to rule us. Now, the most basic unit of this divine authority structure um, is the family. Um, And it's very significant that this is the fifth commandment the first commandment of the second table of the law. Um, It's the most basic means, in other words, through which God's will is mediated. God wills to rule his people through the family as faithful parents bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and as a faithful Children or faithful children receive and submit uh, to that discipline and instruction. Now, before we uh, consider some of the specific duties involved in these relations and reflect upon it, uh, let's just take a moment to consider duty generally. Uh, The fabric of the family, um, if you haven't noticed, has largely unraveled uh, in the world around us. Um, If if you look at the statistics, uh, the percentage of single-family homes has skyrocketed uh, since 50 years ago. Uh, Children are disobedient to their parents. Uh, Parents are ashamed of their authority. The family's fabric has utterly unraveled, and we see the consequences of that in society at large. Part of the reason why Uh, The family's fabric has deteriorated uh, to such an extent um, is indeed because our culture has rejected uh, not only God, uh, but along with God, the simple truth of this commandment, uh, the simple truth embedded in it. This commandment teaches that the law of nature, the moral law of God, requires faithfulness in relational duties. Our relationships come along with various duties. Um, I know that that doesn't sound uh, very appealing, perhaps, uh, but it is, in, it is embedded into the fabric of creation. These relational duties exist within a structure of authority, um, and yet it's the source of blessing and human flourishing to abide within that structure Um, That's the promise that we see set forth in our text. If you honor your father and mother, if you honor those whom God desires uh, to use to rule over us, those through whom God desires to rule, then it'll go well with you. Um, It'll go well with you, and you will live long in the land. 
promise isn't uh, if you pursue uh, your own interests, uh, that you'll find fulfillment in human flourishing. It isn't that uh, if you seek to satisfy yourself, uh, then you'll find uh, blessing and flourishing. It isn't if you, if you shun authority as oppressive in and of itself, then you'll find flourishing and blessing. None of those things are the promise found in our text. The promise is that if you fulfill your relational duties, you'll find blessing and human flourishing, an idea that has been shunned uh, by the self-focused, rebellious spirit of our age. Um, and again, the result of shunning that design that is embedded in the fabric of our existence, the result of shunning that is that society is unraveling as well. Family is a microcosm of the relationships that we see all throughout society. Indeed, the duties that define the various relations in life um, have been shunned and neglected uh, as a result of the family uh, fabric unraveling. Now, with that said, let's go ahead and, and consider uh, some of these duties more specifically. Um, and we're going to focus on the relationship between parents and children, uh, but many of these duties apply to others as well. Uh, they apply to relationship structures within the church, uh, they apply to relationship structures regarding the state. Uh, they apply to relationships of authority. Question 125 of the Westminster Larger Catechism asks, why are superiors styled father and mother? It answers, and superiors, they're just referring to people who are in positions of authority. It answers, superiors are styled father and mother both to teach them in all their duties toward their inferiors, like natural parents, to express love and tenderness to them, according to their several relations, and to work inferiors to a greater willingness and cheerfulness in performing their duties to their superiors as to their parents. So the family provides the pattern for society, and when the family flourishes and is nourished in the light of this truth, that structure flows outward to society, and society as a whole is much stronger and healthier, and humanity flourishes on account of it. So in a community that values and practices the fifth commandment, authority figures will behave toward their subordinates as loving parents. Wouldn't that be nice? And subordinates will behave toward their authority of figures as loving children. Wouldn't that be nice? That basic family structure would flow out into the various relations of life, bringing blessing and flourishing. But again, when the family fabric unravels, society does too. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that right now, today. So let's begin with the parents. What are some specific duties of parents toward their children? Um, it isn't a coincidence that Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, quoting children on your parents, he addresses the parents as well. Uh, there are duties in, in both of these relationships or both of these uh, separate entities in this relationship. 
So how do parents, how do they preserve their honor, the honor that comes along with their authority? How do they preserve it, and how do they perform their duties? Well, to begin, uh, parents certainly have an obligation to pray uh, for their children. Uh, We see this illustrated uh, very clearly in Job. In Job 1.5, it says that when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them for all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Job continually had a desire to pray for his children. Should not parents pray for their children? Should they not pray for their well-being, their spiritual well-being, and ultimately their salvation? Should parents not pray continually, every single day, every morning, every night for their children? Should not parents bless their children too with a disposition of kindness and, and love, longing for their children to flourish? In Genesis 49, 28, it says, All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each one with a blessing suitable to him. I'm not going to necessarily say that you should bless each one of your children with a blessing suitable to the particular child, but you certainly should bless them. So not only should parents pray for their children, Uh, They should bless them, lovingly desiring their flourishing. Another duty of parents uh, that God has given to them is to instruct their their children, uh, to instruct them. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 7, a a passage that we all know well, it says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Mothers are called to instruct their children too with the very same authority over the children as the father. Proverbs 1, 8 through 9 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Parents are are obligated to disciple, uh, excuse me, to discipline their children too. Um, Children uh, wish that their parents would spend more time discipling than disciplining, Uh, but Parents wish that their children would spend more time obeying as well. That's the word that we see in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. These aren't options. Uh, they're duties. These words, discipline and instruction, they go together. Uh, they fit together in the Greek. They emphasize slightly different things. Discipline in the Greek means the act of providing guidance for responsible living, upbringing, training, instruction. Instruction in the Greek here means counsel about avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct, admonition, instruction. 
So they refer to the, the positive and negative aspects of guiding and training children in the way they should go. Now, if this duty is neglected by parents, uh, which isn't a, a very, um, it isn't a pleasant duty, uh, right, if you are a parent disciplining your children, uh, but if this, if this duty is neglected, children suffer. Proverbs 5.23, he dies for lack of discipline. Right? If the child is, is running headlong down the wrong path, the path of destruction, and the parent does nothing within his or her power to instruct that child, sometimes more sharply than at other times, then the child continues headlong on the path to death. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, right? Regardless of what our culture tells us, uh, that apparently children are born sinless, right? We all know that's not the case. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. I always go back and read these passages when I feel bad about, and you should feel bad about disciplining your child. That's, what, that's how you know that you probably have a balanced approach, uh, right? But these passages, they, they reinforce the fact that this is a duty that God has given to parents. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs twenty-three thirteen: Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. Right? Now, while instructing um, and disciplining our children, uh, parents... Uh, we must not neglect rewarding good conduct as well. Uh, we must not be heavy-handed on the discipline, uh, but balance it out with positive reinforcement. There's a scriptural illustration of this in the context of governance. Um, when King Ahasuerus read from the book of, of memorable deeds about how Mordecai foiled an assassination a plot against him, um, he said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Um, he desired to reward him uh, for his conduct, uh, to reinforce this kind of behavior uh, within the society at large, uh, loyalty and honor to the king. So too should parents seek to reward uh, their children when they, when they see their children obeying and honoring uh, the authority structure that God has put into place. Uh, we should certainly reward them and, and reinforce that behavior. So not only should we punish bad behavior, we should also praise the good. We should also praise the good. Otherwise, we run the risk of exacerbating our children. Finally, uh, parents must provide for their children all things necessary for their health and well-being, both spiritual and physical. This is part of what it means to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That word for uh, bring them up means to bring up from childhood, rear, 
bring up. Um, it refers to providing food and nourishment and whatever, whatever else is necessary for their development uh, while they are under your, your authority. This is also, excuse me, this also um, includes a consideration of their inheritance as well. In 2 Corinthians 12, 14, Paul says, Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden For I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So those are just just some of the duties of parents uh, toward uh, their children. Now, consider the duties of of children toward their parents. And and I, I can't be exhaustive, of course, but I simply want to give you some practical application to think about how this authority structure works. To begin, uh, with regard to the duties of children to to their parents, so children, uh, I know that you've all been paying attention uh, to the message, as you always do. I know that nobody's been distracted or anything like that. Um, uh, But now would be a good time uh, to pay extra close attention uh, to the duty that God has given to children, how you might honor your parents. To begin, it's clear from our text that uh, children, you should honor your parents uh, by showing them honor, by by having reverence toward them in all of your conduct, in all of your thoughts and deeds. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you. That means that, uh, children, you must hold your parents in high esteem and set them above you. You should look up to them in that regard. You should pray for them and give thanks to God for them and love them. You should value them highly and esteem them. You should honor them. Children also have a duty to to willingly obey their parents, even when their parents' will, especially when their parents' will goes against their own. Colossians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. If you want to know what pleases the Lord, every time that you obey your mom and dad, that is pleasing to God. That pleases our Heavenly Father. Ephesians 6.1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's fitting and proper and right and good and wholesome for children to obey their parents. It conforms to the wisdom, to the pattern of God's purpose. God has given parents authority over their children, and when children sweetly submit to their parents, it pleases God. Children also have a duty to submit to their parents' discipline, to submit to their parents' discipline, Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. When the Lord disciplines us, we, we must not despise it or be weary of it. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. You mean the father doesn't discipline his child because he, he is just angry at him? 
No, he disciplines the child because he loves him and delights in him and desires that child to flourish and experience the blessings of God by walking in the light of his word. He disciplines the child because he delights in the child. If parents delight in their children, if they love their children, they're going to guide and correct them. And guess what? None of our children in here are perfect. None of our parents in here are perfect. We're all sinners, so we know that discipline will be needed. We know that sometimes we'll miss the mark and we'll need correction. Parents who love their children are going to lead their children in the path that they should go. Indeed, they're going to do so because they have a duty to do so. In Proverbs 12, 1, it says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Did everyone hear that? Right? Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. He loves truth. He desires to align his life with the truth. He loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof, who hates correction, who hates that loving, guiding hand, he is stupid. Proverbs 15.10 says, There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. Right? Because he's hardening his heart And he's continuing down that path of destruction. And he's not receiving the loving correction from his parents. So children have an obligation to submit to the discipline of their parents and receive instruction. The only exception, of course, being sinful instruction. In such cases, children must obey God. Uh, But in everything else, they must obey and submit to their parents. Children also have a duty, uh, and this is a duty I'm especially fond of, uh, being a parent now. Children also have a duty to bear with their parents' weaknesses and to cover them in love. To bear with their parents' shortcomings. And to cover them in love. Right? Our parents aren't perfect either. But if we honor them, if we honor them, we'll cover their shortcomings in love. In Proverbs 23, 22, it says, Listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Right? Perhaps when your mother starts getting old, uh, she starts making more mistakes than she used to. Right? The frailty um, of her state starts to manifest itself more. We shouldn't become frustrated or contemptuous about that. We shouldn't mock our parents or have a spirit uh, of, of mockery or, or contempt. To mock or scorn one's parents on account of their weaknesses or shortcomings, is is severely rebuked by God. Severely rebuked by God. Proverbs 30, 17 says, The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Think of that imagery. 
right? This is something that indeed the Lord despises, this kind of a disposition toward one's parents. Children must uphold the honor of their parents and cover their weaknesses in love. That means also, that means that when parents grow older and can no longer care for themselves, they're too weak to do so. The children must do so. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4, it says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. It's pleasing to God when children uh, who, were, who were nurtured, who were instructed, who were disciplined by their parents, it's pleasing in the eyes of God when they make some return to their parents. That word return is referring to repayment. It's referring to recompense. So, so these are some of the duties uh, of children to their parents. The fifth commandment, it requires preserving and performing such duties. This is how honor is withheld, uh, is upheld within the relationship. And when the parents behave that way, they uphold the honor. They don't do anything to undermine the honor or the authority that God has given them. This is why both sides uh, are important. Now, that brings us here to our second question tonight. What is forbidden in the fifth commandment? Uh, This is question 70 in the Baptist Catechism, and it answers the question as follows. The fifth commandment forbiddeth the the neglect of or doing anything against the honor and duty which belong to everyone in their several places and relations. Right? And so we break this commandment uh, when we fail to uphold the honor embedded in it and the duty that is found in it. So, so what would that look like specifically for parents? Question 130 um, in the Westminster Larger Catechism asks, and it's generalizing uh, with this superior, inferior kind of language, uh, but the, the foundational relationship uh, of this authority structure is the parents and the children. The catechism asks, what are the sins of superiors? It answers, the sins of superiors are, besides the neglect of the duties required of them, and inordinate seeking of themselves, their own glory, ease, profit, or pleasure, commanding things unlawful or not in the power of inferiors to perform, counseling, encouraging, or favoring them in that which is evil, dissuading, discouraging, or discountenancing them in that which is good, correcting them unduly, careless exposing or leaving them to wrong temptation and danger, provoking them to wrath, or any way dishonoring themselves or lessening their authority by an unjust, indiscreet, rigorous, or remiss behavior. I mean, that is very profound, especially that last part, right? 
Parents dishonor themselves and they undermine their own authority. This doesn't remove the duty that is still given to the children by any means. But parents, they dishonor themselves and they undermine their own authority when they act unjustly, when they act indiscreetly, when they act rigorously, right? When they're too, too overbearing or when they act in a, in a, in a remiss kind of a way, right? So, so God hasn't given parents authority uh, to, to serve themselves. And so parents certainly shouldn't neglect their parental duties to do so. But besides that basic presupposition, uh, what else does this commandment forbid? Well, parents shouldn't instruct their children to do anything sinful or harmful. They're given authority to to mediate the will of God uh, within the home, not to perpetuate wickedness. They shouldn't encourage or counsel their children um, toward anything evil. They They shouldn't discourage their children from pursuing anything good in the light of God's word, not how their children define it per se, Uh, but what God's word presents as good. They shouldn't carelessly expose their children to harm or temptation through negligence. Right? Parents must avoid commanding their children to do things that their children simply can't do. That's something that would only exacerbate the child. Parents are called to be patient and gentle. And boy, that can be pretty hard sometimes, especially when your children are young. But nevertheless, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Colossians 3.21 Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Ephesians 6.4 Right, parents, Parents must not correct their children unduly or disproportionately in a way that would discourage them. All of those things are discouraging, are they not? What about children? What does this commandment forbid uh, with regard to them? Uh, What does it look like specifically? Question 128 in the Westminster Larger Catechism asks, what are the sins of inferiors against their superiors? It answers, the sins of inferiors against their superiors are all neglect of the duties required toward them, envying at, contempt of, and rebellion against their persons and places, so their persons and their place of authority, in their lawful counsels, commands, and corrections, right? The parents have been given this duty by God to bring forth these lawful counsels, commands, and corrections. And so any contempt of those, any rebellion against those on the part of the children is forbidden. Any cursing, sorry, I kind of went off from from quoting it. I'm kind of paraphrasing loosely at this point. So I apologize. Any cursing, any mocking, and all such refractory and scandalous carriage as proves a shame and dishonor to them and their government. Right? 
the children had a, a good vocabulary back in the day. So, so what is refractory and scandalous carriage? Well, it's anything that proves to be a shame and dishonor to your parents. It means that this commandment forbids children from, from having contempt for their parents, from having contempt for their authority or their person. It forbids any rebellion against them. If their parents instruct them and discipline them in accordance with God's commands, then any rebellion, any contempt is forbidden. Children shouldn't curse their parents. They shouldn't mock their parents. They shouldn't demean their authority or make light of their authority. They should ascribe weight and value to their parents. They should honor their parents. They should honor their authority as an authority given by God. Not in any way, not in any way shaming or dishonoring their authority. Right? Certainly not in public, but not in private either. But not in public. To shame or dishonor one's parents. We see this kind of a thing, don't we? Out in the culture around us. And it's, it's a heartbreaking thing, it is. So these are some of the sins forbidden by this commandment. It forbids the neglect of or doing anything against the honor and duty of these relations. And not only do we see these things at large, but we perpetuate them ourselves. We commit these sins ourselves. Now that brings us here to the third and final question tonight. What is the reason annexed to the fifth commandment? And the answer to this question in the Baptist Catechism is this. The reason annexed to the fifth commandment is a promise of long life and prosperity. As far as it shall serve for God's glory and their own good, to all such as keep this commandment. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, uh, which Bob wishes was our only New Testament reading tonight. Um, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Right? Paul is applying this promise to the church. If you honor your father and mother, you'll experience blessing and human flourishing in life. That's the general promise. It doesn't mean that everyone who does so will live to be 100, of course. Right? God is sovereign, and only insofar as it tends toward his glory and the good of his people, for his glory and the good of his people, he will act according to his own sovereign purpose. It doesn't mean that, that everyone who does so will never encounter any kind of difficulties in this life. We certainly know that that is not true. But it means that this is God's design. And when you conform to it, when you conform to his moral law, you'll experience great blessing and human flourishing. It will go well with you. 
and you will live long in the land, Paul says. And indeed, if society were to practice, if the families in society were to practice this commandment, and then on account of that, that authority structure were to flow outward to the relationships between superiors and and inferiors in all of the various relations in life, we would see dramatic human flourishing and blessing. That's the point. Now, why is this teaching so important today? Because not only has the fabric of the family unraveled through the pursuit of secular values in the world around us, but even the foundation of authority has been rejected too. In the secular mind, authority is viewed as being inherently the perversion of power. Authority is inherently corrupt and self-serving so that people might artificially and superficially exploit others. That's the way that many people in the world view authority. Now, authority can be corrupted and perverted because of human sin, but authority in and of itself is good. And it's part of God's design for human flourishing. It's part of the way in which he desires his will to be mediated upon the earth. So the contemporary mindset is a complete distortion of biblical teaching. The Bible teaches that God sovereignly places people in positions of authority. God sovereignly places parents in positions of authority. Those children grow up, and God sovereignly places them in positions of authority. He has established this authority again to mediate his will. Children are commanded to honor their parents, refusing to shame their authority. Parents are commanded to instruct their children with dignity and integrity. These relations are established by God, and they're defined by duties. We have duties within these relationships. Our parents have duties toward us. We have duties toward our children. And if we faithfully fulfill those duties, submitting to God's will, we'll experience blessing and human flourishing. That's the simple promise that Paul sets forth. Now, the fact of the matter is that uh, not one of us has fulfilled this commandment perfectly. Not one of us has perfectly fulfilled our duties as a parent. Not one of us has perfectly fulfilled our duties as a child. Not one of us has perfectly fulfilled our duties in the various relations of life in which God has placed us. We have often gone astray. We have often turned everyone to his own way. But God has laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. For Christ perfectly fulfilled the will of his Father. He came indeed to do his Father's will existing eternally in the form of God as the only begotten Son. 
He didn't count it as something to be seized and held on upon for his own personal self-interest. Instead, he, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to his heavenly Father, even to the point of death on a cross. This is the very same Christ who himself was once a child, born of the Virgin Mary. This is the very Christ who was once a sinless boy in the temple, for whom his father and mother were searching in great distress. And upon being found by his parents in his heavenly father's house, this is the Christ of whom it was spoken. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus knows what it's like to be a child. He knows what it's like to obey his parents. It's on account of this Christ who lived a sinless life in complete fulfillment of God's law, of this law, these Ten Commandments. The very Christ who shed his blood to bear the curse of this law in our place. It's on account of this Christ It's on account of his righteousness alone that God forgives us and accepts us. He doesn't accept us because we're perfect parents. He doesn't accept us because we're perfect children. He accepts us for the sake of his perfect son. For in his son, all who believe are perfect. What a wonderful, wonderful truth that is. So let us bow our hearts before our Heavenly Father, who sent His only begotten Son to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. Let us confess our sins and be careful to devote ourselves to good works. And let us strive by God's power working within us to keep the fifth commandment. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you, O God, for your word. We thank you for your spirit who teaches us and guides us in the light of it. O Father, we fall so far short of it. And we acknowledge that before you tonight. We do confess our sins and our failures and our shortcomings. And we ask, O God, that you would strengthen us by your Holy Spirit to walk in the light of your word. Oh, how we desire to be godly parents. Oh, how we desire to be godly children. Oh, how we desire to please you and experience your blessings in our life. We thank you for this design that you have set forth for us in your holy word. And we pray again, O God, that you would help us by your grace to walk in the light of it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.